thank you, choir and orchestra. They are really serving the Lord today. Three services this morning. They'll be back again at six o'clock tonight. Some of you have already been. Those of you who haven't, I don't know that words can describe just how emotional you'll be as you hear Jesus exalted with this beautiful choir and orchestra. It's going to be incredible tonight. So come back then. We've had full services the last two nights. So that's been such a blessing. I want to mention to you uh, that we're in a very important time in not just the life of this church, but all of our Southern Baptist churches. We take up a special offering to help our foreign missionaries. It's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned this year. My wife went to the grocery store yesterday and gave me an update at how much everything had increased. So I know everybody's stretched, but if there's one place we need to make sure we give strongly to, it's to help support our missionaries. So while our choir is coming back in, let me tell you what we specifically do as Southern Baptists. There are other good groups. We have groups that, like Samaritan's Purse, they share the gospel by meeting physical needs. There are groups who try to reach the world by putting Bibles in their language and distributing them. But Southern Baptists are unique in that we, we want to do missions by actually putting missionary boots on the ground. We send actual missionaries to the places that we want them to be. As a result, we have narrowed it down as Southern Baptists to three places we want to place missionaries. Number one are the largest cities in the world. Uh, we have a couple that came out of our church last year that have gone to Japan, and Japan has some of the largest cities in the world. So that's the reason why that nation was chosen. We have the previous missions pastor and his wife have gone to a majority Muslim country. That's difficult. We, our second priority is go to the difficult places. Oftentimes, that means the dangerous places. So we have people from our church serving through our international mission board in some of those difficult and dangerous places. And then thirdly, we've made it a priority to try to reach people for Jesus around the world through touching refugees. Our most recent couple that's been in our mission house, the country they were serving in now no longer allows Americans in. But what they are doing now is they're being sent back to uh, Eastern Europe to minister to the many refugees that are leaving that country. So they're gonna be doing work in their language group. So when you give, we have those three focuses on where we're putting missionaries, and that's what we're, we're giving to. So I just wanna make an appeal. I know that times are tough, but be sure you give strongly. Can I remind you now that we're back in the building that we have giving boxes here at the front. There's some in the foyer, and there's one in the Welcome Center, and that's how you make your offerings. Right now, let's do what we do every week. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. And then let's join with praying the Lord's Prayer with Christians all over the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
I could talk about the building just a little bit before I get to today's text. Uh, the workers left the sanctuary 3 p.m. Friday. We opened the doors 5 p.m. Friday to have our service. So you can imagine this has really been an experience of jumping into the deep end this weekend to be able to have these services. And I praise God for how wonderfully they've gone. But the people over this weekend who've, gone the, who've had more put on their shoulders are those who are running the sound, Lee and Mike and the team that's up there. And I'm so appreciative of them. Now, one thing you need to know is you've heard about the chip crisis and the parts supply chain crisis. We ordered a incredible sound system that they are telling us will be here in March or April. This is a temporary sound system. And so it will not be the last one. We're doing the best we can, but uh, one day we'll have the last one and it'll be uh, far better. So uh, just be patient with us while we're tweaking. We were tweaking at what, 7.15 this morning, I guess. We were in here doing sound checks. So it's just a, a work in progress. Now in our study of the book of Acts, and by the way, we'll have a pulpit next week too. So just let you know that. This is a, because of the choir presentation. In our study of the book of Acts, I'm gonna focus on one verse and sum up all that goes around it. Our verse for today is Acts 24, verse 16. Acts 24, verse 16. In his defense on trial, Paul said this, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. Last week, I talked about how after Paul's life had been uprooted, uh, torn apart in a two-day period, he'd survived several attempts on his life. Uh, he was now a prisoner. He'd been free two days before this. Now he was a prisoner. When all of a sudden, at a point that he had to be very emotionally low, God showed up. That was the message last week. And the Lord came to him, and basically what the Lord said, we're not there yet, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, hold on me there. All right, uh, the Lord showed up, he said last week, and it said this. He said, you take heart, you be courageous. I'm with you now. You're gonna preach in, in Rome just like you preached in Jerusalem. And so that's where we were. And can you imagine how relieved Paul felt? I'm sure Paul slept good that night after God came to him and he probably thought to himself, the worst is behind me, wrong. The very next day, a group of men who hated Paul took a vow that they were gonna kill him. They said that we're not gonna eat or drink until we have his blood on these knives. And Paul's nephew found out about it. So he went to the Roman commander and he said to him, he said, you know that they're gonna to try to kill him tomorrow. And so what the commander there in Jerusalem did was he took over half the troops he had available, uh, 300 or so troops that he had available, horsemen, People on foot surrounded Paul and sent him out in the night. Can you imagine one man surrounded by that many people? And they snuck out during the night to begin making their way all the way to the palace of the Roman governor in Caesarea Philippi. And as they were going down there, the Roman commander who had arrested him, who knew the facts, actually had this, sent a lengthy letter to Felix explaining the situation. But there's one particular point I want you to see. Now you can show Acts 23, 29. He said, at the same time, no, I found out the accusations were concerning questions of their law and that there was no charge that merited death or imprisonment. 
So he's being snuck out. He's got army all around him. He's got a, a letter that will be delivered to the governor, the judge, who says, this man shouldn't be in prison. So wouldn't you think the governor would let him go? But not that governor. That governor was Felix. And we're told at the end of the chapter, chapter 24, look at verse 26 and 27. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Portius Festus succeeded Felix because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. He left Paul in prison. So what we find is that this man who, if he were a just man, when he got a letter from the arresting officer that says, there's nothing to this, let him go. He kept him in prison two years for one reason, he wanted a bribe. By the way, Tacitus will tell us the reason he was removed two years later was because he was found guilty by those in Rome of taking bribes. So he'll lose his career because of taking bribes. But here's Paul. That's two years of his life wasted. So here we've got Paul. His accuser on the trial where he made his stand was a man named Ananias. I spoke to you about him a few weeks ago. Ananias was one of the worst high priests that's ever been in all of Israel. In fact, when the Jews revolted in AD 66, they went and looked for him. They found him hiding in Herod's palace, pulled him out by the legs, drug him to the middle of Jerusalem, and stoned him to death. So we've got a wicked high priest making the accusations. We've got a corrupt judge waiting on a bribe that he's standing before. Now the charge that they made against Paul in this trial before Felix is found in chapter 24, verse 5. Look at this. For we have found this man to be a plague an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, so we apprehended him. Here's the charge. This man should be put to death because he's an agitator. I love Paul's answer. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but basically he says this. Where's the witnesses? We got this one man's word, but he's not bringing anybody up who said, I saw Paul agitating. He said, not only that, until 12 days ago, I wasn't in Israel. And, and many of those days I've spent right here in prison. So where would I have had time to do all that? So Paul basically knows that even this judge, he's got the letter from, from, from the commander. There's nothing to this. And in the midst of that context, that's where he makes that statement. I strive always to have a conscience clear before God and before man. Now, if you were to look at the contrast between Paul and Ananias, Paul and Felix, there's only one person in that room that had a clear conscience. In fact, there's such a contrast between Paul and Felix. Paul came there to bring a love offering. Felix is waiting on a bribe. Uh, Felix was known for corruption and immorality. Can I tell you a little bit about his married life? While he was married to his second wife, he saw a beautiful girl who was married to somebody else. Her name was Drusilla. And so he hired an Egyptian sorcerer to put a spell on her so he could steal her from her husband and make her wife number three. So not only is this guy a guy who takes bribes, he's also immoral. So here's Paul and here's Ananias, so corrupt the Jews will kill him one day. Here's Felix, immoral and waiting on bribes. And here's Paul. He was the only one who could say, I stand here today with a conscience clear before God and man. Now, let me explain what that means. When Paul said he had a clear conscience, you've got to understand this. He did not mean he had never sinned. We know from reading the Bible, Paul knew because he knew his past, that he had the blood of Christians on his hands. He had been a persecutor of the church. He had, 
He had presided over Stephen being stoned to death. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul would say this. He said, I consider myself to be the chief of sinners, but God gave me mercy. So how in the world can somebody say you have a clear conscience when you know that you've got the blood of innocent people on your hands, that you were a murderer in the past? Well, folks, it's because he knew that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Years ago, there was an evangelist who came to a town. He decided to go into the city and witness, and he went into a bar, walked up to the owner of the bar, tried to share the gospel with him, and the man stopped him. He said, God would never forgive a person like me. You're wasting your time. And then he quoted to him, 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the man said, you just don't, you need to understand. I know the people who come in to get drinks in my bar, I know that most of them are spending their money on alcohol when they should be buying groceries for their family. I know that they're destroying their own family. And I take their money because I want it. I've got no conscience about that. Are you going to tell me that God could forgive a man like me? And he quoted 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And then he said, now you don't know the whole story. Come with me. And they went up a stairway and there was a series of shady bedrooms. Turns out this man was not only a bar owner, he was a pimp and he kept prostitutes upstairs. And he said, I know this, the majority of men that I send upstairs are married men. I know what they're doing to the girls. I know what they're doing to their own homes, and I do it because I don't care. I just want their money. Are you going to tell me that God could forgive a man like me? And, Paul, and once again, the evangelist said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He said, then come with me. And he took him down, and he took him to his house. When he walked into the door and the children heard his voice, the first thing the children did was run and hide behind their mother. You could see terror in their eyes. And this evangelist could see that. He said, you see that? You see how my kids are reacting? My kids fear me and they have reason to. Are you going to tell me that God for, could forgive someone like me? And once again, he answered, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he was able to lead him to Jesus. So Paul could say, I have a clear conscience because he understood grace. He understood the death of Christ. But also when he said, I have a clear conscience, that did not mean he hadn't blown it since he got saved. Because if you remember, when we talked about his trial before Ananias, Paul lost his temper and had to apologize. So he had just blown it one chapter before. So here's what you and I can know as far as how we maintain a clear conscience. One of my favorite verses, I memorized it as a new Christian, is 1 John 1.9. If you'd put that on there, please. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the deal, folks. We can be cleansed if whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us we have sinned, if we'll confess it, we can maintain that conscience. It mean, maintaining a clear conscience basically boils down to this. I keep, I make sure that all my sins are confessed up to date. That's what Paul stated when he made that statement. Now, if you take a look at Paul's other writings, you'll find that he spends a lot of time talking about this concept of a conscience. 
Uh, in fact, in Romans chapter two, he talks about that what the conscience is. Everybody in the world is born with a conscience because God did that. He wrote his law on their hearts. Look, look at this, Romans 2.15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience has confirmed this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or, or even excuse them. No matter where you've been, no matter where you're born, you got God's law written on your heart. That's a conscience. God put it there. So God gives us that sense of right and wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we can't dull it. One time a man went to see his doctor and he said, I've been misbehaving, doc, and my conscience is troubling me. He said, do you want something to strengthen your willpower? He said, no, I was thinking of something that would weaken my conscience. <laughs> so we've got a conscience that tells us when we've done wrong, but there is a danger that you can harden that conscience. I'll give you two cross-references on that. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12 through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. You can sear your conscience. When you get to that point where God says, I'm telling you something now, listen to me. Don't do that or you've got to go do that. And, and you ignore that. You sear that conscience. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 19. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Their hearts became callous. You can put a callous over your conscience. I'm a guitar player, but I only average playing about four times a year. As a result, the only guitar I now own is a nylon string classical guitar. And I'll explain why that's the only one I keep. If you're only gonna play four times a year, Nathan, I know you've got good calluses because you play a lot and your boys play a lot. But if you pick up a guitar for the first time and it has metal strings, you'll find that you're going to have a short session because it doesn't take long playing metal strings before all of a sudden you're, you have extreme pain on your fingers. If I happen to be in a situation, decide I want to sing a song, maybe down the modern service and pick up uh, uh, Taylor's string guitar, uh, uh, steel string guitar, I might get through one song, but I better not practice because it's going to hurt. But I've owned steel string and played them a lot in the past. And what happens if you keep playing, you develop calluses and it no longer hurts. So if you're walking along and God says, you did wrong, you need to go apologize for that. And you ignore that. Or God says, I don't want you to go and watch that. And you watch it. In. Or, or if God says, I need you to go speak. And you don't listen to the, to the voice of God inside of you then you can get to the point where you put a callus over that. And even though God initially instilled in you a conscience, it can become callous. We've got to protect that callus. In fact, to show how important, I'm going to protect that conscience. And to show you how important the conscience is, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now here's Paul saying, when I preach, I have an aim in mind. When I teach, I have an aim in mind. This is what I want to see in your lives. Now the goal of our instruction is Love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Do you realize what that means? That sincere faith is equal to is, is on the same level as a pure heart and, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So we've got to have that good conscience. That's something that is so important. We've got to maintain that. And then there's one more warning to give you from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Paul said. Having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Sergeant Ray Bars of Utah 
was in a store. They asked to see his driver's license. He pulled it out, and as he was producing it to the clerk to show his driver's license, he noticed that his driver's license had expired. So he reached into his pocket for his ticket book, and on the spot, he wrote himself a ticket for having an expired driver's license. And then later he went and stood before the judge to pay the fine for having an expired driver's license. And the judge said, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, nobody caught you. You did this. To you. And this is what he said. He said, if I found out that my driver's license was expired and I did not give myself a ticket, how could I ever give anybody else a ticket if I found out their driver's license was expired? And so we've got to listen to that conscience, maintain it. Now, with that said, I, I, I have the privilege now, as Justin and I work through this, I talk with several staff members because we, we, this is a joint thing when we're producing our sermons now. And I was talking so much about listening to your conscience and don't you dare ignore it. And one of our staff members brought up this struggle that they have. Their struggle is they have too sensitive a heart. They have a tendency to always think less of them than what God says about them. They have the tendency to think, have I done enough? Uh, or, and so they're, they're introspective to, a, to an unhealthy degree. And so as we were talking this through, the suggestion was made, if all you do is talk about listening to your conscience, listen, how dare you not, you'll shipwreck your, what about those who are navel staring all the time? Is there anything else in there I need to find? Can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? It's not your job to find your sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to tell you about your sin. Listen to the Holy Spirit, but don't go beyond what the Holy Spirit does. If you're a Christian and you have guilt because of sins you've already confessed, can I remind you that is the accuser of the brethren. That is Satan. The only used sin dealer is the devil. If you're a Christian and you cannot bring yourself to conclude that God could want me, God could love me, God could use me, I want to tell you that is the words of the devil. That's not the words of God. Can I remind you what God says about you? God says you're his child. You have the righteousness of Christ. He's well pleased with you. So yes, we need to listen to the conscience when he convicts us, but there's a freedom that comes. When, when you're sitting there and God's not bringing up something. Can I show you a freeing verse? Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. And this is how we will know that we belong to the truth. And we will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts, he knows all things. If you're feeling that God's condemning you about something, do something about it. Go ahead and apologize. Go ahead and make the action. But look at the next verse. Dear friends, if our heart don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him what we ask because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Let me tell you something, folks. If you stop and say, Lord, is there anything that you will point out? If God doesn't show anything, go enjoy yourself. Walk out of here in freedom. God's good. He's the one that brings up sin. We, we can trust that he is over our hearts and will tell us what we need to know in our hearts. There's one more thing that Paul does when he's given this defense. Uh, when Paul, the, the verse before the one I'm using for the sermon, before verse, four, verse 16, look with me at Acts 24, verse 15. 
Acts 24, verse 15. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. Before he said, I always strive to have a clear conscience, he said, this is why, because I believe this life is not it. I believe that one day we'll stand before God. The unjust will stand before God. The just will stand before God. But this is not it. Christian, if you're saved, you'll still have to give an account of your life for rewards on the judgment seat of Christ. So we live with the light of eternity. If God has told you, you need to go to apologize, I don't want to go do that. Well, remember, this is the short test. Eternity is the main thing. Does that make sense? So we, we keep that conscience clear because we're living in the light of eternity. Occasionally, I've heard his, people say, well, Abraham Lincoln was not a Christian because he never joined a church. That is not true. Can I set the record straight? Abraham Lincoln read his Bible faithfully. He faithfully attended a Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C. And once the war was over, he had set a Sunday to be baptized in that church. It happened to be the Sunday that would have come after he was assassinated. So he was committed. He was ready to join his church. He lived with his eyes upon God. He was a person who had to make tough decisions and was often criticized for the decisions he made. Let me read you an Abraham Lincoln quote. I desire to so conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end when I come to lay down the reins of power, I've lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left. That friend shall be down inside me. So I'd rather keep my conscience as my friend than anybody else on this planet. So we always should strive to have a clear conscience before God and before men. I'm going to close this service a little differently. Please, no one leave yet because we're not there. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. But I want to have some music played in the background, and I want you to stop. And I want you to say, Lord, would you show me if there's anything between you and I that I need to settle? I need to confess. I need to make a commitment to go do something about. Because after all, we're about to have communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, it said, examine yourself before you take communion. So we're going to take some time to do that while my brother plays. Would you just pray with me now?